2: Sweet's Failed Critics Podcast, where we are reviewing the new Avengers film, Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, I'm Steve Norman, joined by Matt Lamborn. Hello. Carol Pets, Hello. And
1: Owen Hughes. Hello. Um, Am I last for a reason? Is this because of
2: my opinion oh, yes. on Age of Ultron? Oh, yeah. This punishment.
3: I've exerted my influence. <laughs> uh,
2: no, no reason for you being last, just no? you happen to be last.
1: Yeah, just spite. I'll put it back to spite. Yeah, spite
2: <laughs> and pettiness. Yeah. Because uh, of my
1: reviews of Star Wars recently as well, I guess. Yeah.
2: Oh, no, like
3: I'm totally on board with that. That's fine.
2: Yeah. Mm. Um, it's also... or well, earlier in the week was the Thale uh, Critics' third birthday.
1: Yeah, Saturday, the 25th of April, was the third anniversary of the release of the first podcast. So... We tweeted it. We haven't really done anything special. Our special thing is getting Carol back and Matt. So hooray! Yes, yeah. birthday to us. Exactly. Yeah, that's sounds...
3: our
1: party. <laughs> our birthday party. Yeah, we've got four people on this podcast. It's going to be chock full of arguments, I imagine.
2: And Owen, how would you describe the the last three years on this podcast? As one of the only other people who've been on it for that long, arduous. Uh, hard
1: work. <laughs> nah, no, it's fun. It's fun, isn't it? Waste we of keep... time. <laughs> well, we wouldn't keep doing it if it wasn't fun.
0: Well, so, yeah.
1: So, you know, um, and I've now met Carol in person, and I've met Paul and Brooker, and we've still not met up yet, Steve. That's the no. only Let's
2: it's keep it that way.
1: Th- <laughs> three years of us talking every week on Skype, and never so much as sort of buying each other a pint. Yeah, you're like, a, like an internet couple who've got no game, you two. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be on catfish eventually. That's what's going to happen.
2: Who, who's catfishing who?
1: Um, <laughs> well, I've never sent you a picture of myself, I don't think, so I'll send one after the podcast. and You'll see how ripped I am and how good-looking,
0: and then, yeah, it'll be true, honest. Yeah, just no dick pics, please, boys. <laughs>
1: No, we say those for Twitter.
2: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, the first part of this podcast then is going to be a triple bill where we look at um, some of the films, favourite films some of the actors in Age of Ultra, as we've done when we've reviewed big films previously. I think we've done it with um, the likes of James Bond and, and other things. Uh, yeah,
1: but you're not skimping on a quiz that easily, I'm afraid. You are losing one nil. you can't just skip over it as easy as that.
2: That's, that's cheating. I tried my best. <laughs> I'm just worried you're gonna make me watch Kill Keith again.
1: It, yeah, well, uh, I think we should have a rule. No more Kill Keith. It's I done. think you should let the guests <laughs> pick the punishment films.
3: <laughs> that went so well went last time.
1: <laughs> oh man. No, I, I know what I'm gonna pick if I win. I know, already. So, um. Yeah, okay, I'll start the quiz then. So, obviously, same as always, I'll read out some, um, someone's filmography and it'll be up to Steve to guess it before Matt or Carol guess it. And the guests are currently 1-0 up. So, we're gonna start in 1995 and they were in the usual suspects. Anyone hazarding a, has a guess? Could
3: be anyone,
1: couldn't it? Could be anyone. <laughs> It's kind of the point of the usual suspects that yeah. it could be anyone. but um, not
3: a clever play there.
1: Anyone having a guess at all?
3: Uh, Carol. Go on, Carol. I will go with, uh, just because he had his big guy the other day, I will go with Kevin Spacey.
1: It isn't Kevin Spacey, no. I kind of thought it wouldn't be. Okay, I'll move on. I'll move on. In 1999, they were in Magnolia. No. Nope. Nope. In 2001, they were in AI, Artificial Intelligence.
3: Oh, God, I only watched this recently. Who's in both of suspects so in AI? Because I haven't seen Magnolia. Oh, my God, I don't know. They're
1: kind of just smaller roles in that. Obviously. Oh, Carol,
3: is it Francis McDormand?
0: It's not, no. Ah. Oh. Okay, go for it, Matt. I'm thinking back to usual suspects here, because I don't think I've seen Magnolia, but I'm going to take a stab at Pete Postlethwaite. It's not Pete Posselfight, no. Okay. Okay. So, um, in 2001 to 2004,
1: they were in eight episodes of The West
0: Wing.
3: Everyone was.
0: <laughs> everyone was.
3: Literally everyone.
0: Okay. Never watched that either.
1: Right. In 2008, they were in Iron Man.
3: This is really winding me up because I watched <laughs> AI literally like a month ago. Yeah and I can't think I can't think of anyone who's in Iron Man and
1: AI. They were also in Iron Man two, they were in Thor, and they were in The Avengers.
0: Boom.
2: <laughs> that should make it easy, but it doesn't. Is <sighs> Steve?
1: Yeah.
2: Is it? I can't remember his name. Clark Wassett, who plays Agent Adrian Coulson. Coulson. It is!
3: Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, yes, I remember seeing him in AI as well. I think I've <laughs> it. Oh, no.
1: Yes, well done, Steve. Clawing a point
2: back. There we go. I'll win now.
3: <laughs> you must have had, like, the longest IMDB list to, to get through, like, ever, because he's been in everything.
1: He's been in tons of things in the most t- tiniest, teeniest roles as well.
3: Yeah, I think he popped up in The Negotiator I was watching on TV a couple of weeks oh, ago. Oh, I well. was that film. That's a yeah, film. Yeah, it was alright,
1: that one. So, um. I cannot yeah.
3: remember him in, um, in The Usual Suspects, though.
1: No, me neither. I have to go back. Thank God. back. let me have a look. I'll tell you what his uh, credit was, because it's only small. He was in. Uh, Where's it gone? Usual Sus- Suspects, Dr. Walters, whoever that was. So.
3: Fast, yeah, I'll have to go back. Yeah, yeah I remember in, him, him in AI, though. He was, he was one of the guys in the boardroom. He's always like, he's he's the definition of that guy who was in that thing.
1: (laughs) He's got that face. You think it's from that thing, and then, yeah.
3: And then other things as well. Yeah.
1: So there you go. One all.
3: And next week, um,
1: we'll start again, of course, with it being a level playing field so far.
3: Well done, Steve.
1: Yes. Round of applause. (laughs) Whee.
2: And. Yes, now on to Triple Bill then, where we're looking at our favourite films, some of the actors in uh, Age of Ultron. Um, Owen, who did you get and what did you pick? Who did I
1: get? Well, I will just very quickly, very briefly explain what's happening with this Triple Bill. We kind of were assigned at random four different actors from Age of Ultron. And they're people who play kind of significant characters. Uh, in a, in their own sort of way in this film. Um, so we've got Andy Serkis, who was assigned to you, Steve, I believe. You've got Andy Serkis because he plays Ulysses Claw. Yeah. Uh, Carol, Jeremy Renner for Hawkeye, because he's kind of got a beefed up role this time.
3: Very he's, beefed up.
1: Yeah, more prominent in this one. Uh, Matt obviously has James Spader uh, because he plays Ultron
0: because derp. Yeah, it was a great great costume.
1: Great costume. You couldn't tell through the makeup at all. It was fantastic. Um, and then I ended up with Paul Bettany, who plays a character other than Jarvis in Age of Ultron.
3: I, I think everyone knows. I think I'm just he, playing it safe. He I'm was very, in the last trailer and he's been on the posters and everything.
1: I know, I know. But I'm just going to play it safe. So right, he, right. he plays Jarvis through the sort of Iron Man films. And in this, he plays Spider-Man. He played Spider-Man in the cameo, the post credits And
0: because I'm great at avoiding spoilers, I didn't know anything about Paul Bettany's role in this.
3: Really?
0: Just saying. Other than the fact he's Jarvis, I didn't know anything about what comes after that. Exactly. So um, that's basically what we did as part of this,
1: this triple bill. And so the idea is to pick three films from each of those actors. So I'll start us off with who I got. Uh, signed Paul Bettany. Now I've always felt like I I liked Paul Bettany's films but when I looked at those films he's been in that are most well regarded or the, the most well regarded performances of his or those that he's received awards for I kind of found that there were a few I I hadn't actually seen. So picking one of these at random for like homework for this podcast I ended up watching the Peter Weir movie Master and Commander. Um, Incidentally, by pure coincidence I also watched another Peter Weir film this week Which was the director's cut of Picnic at Hanging Rock Which I didn't actually think was all that good And then when I actually, just as a side note I told my wife I didn't think that film was very good And she said, well what were you expecting From a film called Picnic at Hanging Rock
0: And I thought...
3: (laughs) Fair point. Yeah. (laughs) Fair point. Very
1: very
0: sound logic.
1: It was. Um, but, you know, it's kind of funny that, because those two films, it was just a coincidence I watched them together, and even those, like, they're decades apart, um, but both of which films kind of brought to mind Robert Zemmick's, films, because, um, Master and, uh, Master and Commander, especially, although it's not like a great film, it's, it's, you know, it's good, it's well made in all those kind of niggly technical areas, um, but much like like his like Robert Zemeckis's films, they're kind of elevated by the performances that he gets out of his actors. So you've got Russell Crowe in it, who's obviously fantastic as this like British naval commander during the Napoleonic Wars. Um, but so too, I think, is Paul Bettany as the the warship's like physician and like this passionate naturalist, and he kind of holds the film together. It's sort of the glue that that stops it from seeming like too unrelatable, and you can't really get involved with it, he's the guy, he's your in to this world. And um, by simply being this, like, earnest, honest, good bloke, basically, that's what he plays, and um, it's really good. And it's awkward in one sense, because whether you like Crow or not, he does have this gravitas on screen, um, and it does somewhat diminish that of Paul Bettany's when he's also on screen with Russell Crowe. But at the same time, Paul Bettany is just, he's just good in a different way. And you genuinely feel for his character. So when these these tragedies, both like big and small, kind of strike him, one of them is that they go by the Galapagos Islands. And being a naturalist, he wants to examine everything. But also the fact they're at war means he can't. And it's just you kind of feel for this this guy who's who's not not a pacifist as such, but he doesn't. He's there because he's a doctor and that's his duty, you know. Um, But also because he's like a sincerely likable guy, Paul Bettany, and it makes him and his character very. Uh, Very likeable too. And I think it's to his credit that he was nominated for a BAFTA for this role, because as well as picking up a a couple of other ones, because he genuinely was very good. So I can I can certainly see why he was nominated for this. But there were two other performances of his that were quite well received, which are kind of, I'll talk about them individually, but I kind of will bracket them together in in a way. I think the first Paul Bettany film or performance I ever saw was his role as the young, nameless 1960s British gangster in the Paul McGuigan film Gangster Number 1. And that movie, fuck me, I mean, I've only seen it once, but I remember being absolutely blown away by how violent and just fucked up it was. Because I'm sure if I rewatched it now, that it wouldn't have the same impact. But at the same time, it, when I watched it for the first time, it seemed on another level with the torture, the stabbings, the shootings, the blood, the greed. It was just, uh, well, not just fun film, actually. I can remember Paul Bettany being absolutely terrifying in it, yet still kind of fragile. He's just this like scared bloke who's doing st- these absolutely horrendous things. But uh, it's, it, he's so immensely scary in it at times, the way he sort of flips. And the ending of the film kind of lets it down a little bit, in my opinion, when Malcolm McDowell comes back into it. But I'm pretty sure that was the first Paul Bettany film I saw. And I really liked him in it. However, if that actually wasn't the first Paul Bettany film I saw, then the only other contender would be the sort of medieval comedy adventure movie A Knight's Tale which also starred Heath Ledger as a knight, um, or a guy who's pretending to be a knight or something like that. And, yeah, Paul Bettany as his pal in that was the guy who could read, he sort of hangs off things and he's the Joker sort of character. And it was weird because whichever way around I watched those two movies, Gangster Number 1 and, and The Night's Hell, I can always remember finding it absolutely bizarre how this this same guy was putting in such different performances. And I know A Knight's Tale is just a harmless bit of like comedy and it, I mean it does have this weird cult following which probably is due to Heath Ledger more so than it is due to Paul Bettany but you know it's not a great film, it's fine for what it is I guess but it's not, it's not exactly hilarious, lap out layered comedic gold but it does well at showcasing how varied an actor paul bettany can be compared to other roles around the same time like gangster number one and he can do this intensely fierce character he can do this sincere relatable nice guy that he could do in master and commander he can do the whole sarcastic funny bloke so i kind of felt like because those two came together i had to pick both of them so there it is those are my three paul bettany performances for for our triple bill
2: Okay, uh, Matt. Who did you have selected for you, um, and which films did you go for?
0: I got the wonderful James Spader, which I was quite pleased about. Out of the the choices available, this was the one I would have most liked to talk about. So I got lucky on this one, and I'm going to talk about three films. Some, um, a relatively, well, at least two of them are from a, a particular area of his career, um, given that he's probably more famous these days for some of the excellent roles he does on TV, but, uh, he was very much a part of the Brat Pack back in in the early eighties. And uh, that's where we're going to start off. Um, and one of which is a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine is Mannequin from 1986. (laughs) Really? <laughs> yes. I think I'm, I'm, I'm probably looking back at this with rose-tinted glasses, but I really used to enjoy this when I was younger. It's very silly. But, uh, Mannequin's about the story of a young window dresser. Jonathan Switcher is played by Andrew McCarthy, another one of the, the Brat Packers. And he makes a mannequin so perfect that he falls in love with her, uh, not realizing that the mannequin's possessed of the spirit of an Egyptian princess. Played by the lovely Kim Cattrall who I had just a little bit of a crush on at, at this period of her career. Uh, but James Spader himself, he turns up as a character called Richards, who's the manager of the mall in which the the story is taking place. And he plays a very good, snivelling, slimy, yuppie villain who will do anything to further his career at the expense of others. And to be fair, he plays the role excellently. Um, the film also has G.W. Bailey, who you might also know better as Captain Harris from Police Academy. And he plays an almost identical role, uh, as he does in those films, um, as the mall guard, not of a Paul Blart style. <laughs> He'll do anything to stop uh, Andrew McCarthy's character's late night in-store antics with Kim Cattrall, the mannequin. But in a nutshell, the, the plot is absolutely ludicrous. It, it doesn't hold up well to examination when you <laughs> when you break it down bit by bit. But it's heartwarming and it's good pure 80s nostalgia, particularly if you enjoy any of those brat Pack era comedies. So yeah, very much a, a guilty pleasure for me, one I, I still enjoy from time to time. And has a great soundtrack too, if you like, but 80s pop and rock music. Um, second film of choice, which is a bit more noteworthy and more universally acclaimed, is 1989's Sexualising Videotape, which was the directorial debut of one Steven Soderbergh. Mm. And this follows the story of a sexually oppressed woman whose husband's sleeping around with his sister behind her back. Uh, and the film really kicks off when Dalton, who's played by James Spader, arrives on the scene with an unusual fetish for filming other people's sex lives and stories. And one of the things about this, it was very sort of notorious upon its release for the sort of sexual content in there, although there's not really any gratuitous scenes of sorts all the erotica is entirely dialogue driven which makes it quite a clever film especially when you compare it to something that came a couple of years after like basic instinct which really thrust the nudity and sex scenes right in your face this is much more savvy and it's more of a thinking person's 18 rated sexual thriller um won the 1989 palm door so it has some real pedigree there and it sparked a boom at the time in, in the indie movie scene in the late 80s, early 90s. So it's definitely worth a watch if you can find it on on Netflix and whatever. It's it's definitely got some some heavyweight punk behind it. It's well worth checking out.
1: I really do like Soderbergh, but it's one of those films I've missed. And uh, yeah, so, okay, that's interesting. It, does he sort of carry the film or is it just um, actually just a really good Spader film? Spader, you
0: mean? Yeah, Spader, sorry. He's the most interesting character in it because he's a little bit unusual but okay. you have to sort of take it with a pinch of salt because the kind of character and the activities that are supposedly so taboo in this film have probably been done a million mm-hmm. times since so if you watch it for the first time now you probably haven't watched all the fuss all about but it's still a good film and you're probably a, a fan of the type of stuff that, that Soderbergh's done in his career so you probably yeah, have okay. to try it at some point but just bear in mind that it's very much a film of its time Okay. Uh, and might not quite have the same impact watching it for the first time now as as a little bit further back in time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the last one, uh, I'm putting this one in rather for a piece of trivia than it being a good film because it's it's not a great film. And it's uh, 2000 The Watcher. Now I saw this when it first came out at the cinema, and I didn't think it was terrible at the time but I couldn't help feel perplexed at the casting choices. So in the movie, Spader actually plays a good guy, which is a rarity at this <laughs> stage of his career because he, he was typically cast as uh, a bad guy or a villain, quite a lot of which he plays very well. But in this, he's a, an FBI agent who's closely following a string of murders against young women uh, which are being perpetrated by the character David Alan Griffin, who's played by Keanu Reeves. And what he would do is follow around women over a, a long period of time learning all of their routines, where they go, what times of day, etc., so he can commit the perfect crime. Um, But I can't help but feel the two of them should have been switched for this. I think Spader would have made for a much more menacing character than the always likable, happy, smiley Keanu Reeves. He just doesn't have that that intangible evilness about him that you need from a lead serial killer. Um, In fact, it was evident at the release of the film that Reeves wasn't even interested in the role but someone had actually forged his signature for the part so <laughs> it, in trying to avoid uh, a legal conflict he chose to take the role on and sign an, uh, an NDA to not reveal the circumstances of the contract until at least 12 months after the film came out that's wow. a new one that's amazing yeah, it, it's, it, for, for such a, a trivial movie it's, it's got some fascinating history behind it that's worth a read and he didn't get involved in the film's promotion whatsoever, so he didn't like turn to premieres or anything like that. Did very few interviews, and typically on the home release versions of this, you won't even see his name in the top billing. <laughs> it's just Jane Spader and one of the other co-stars whose name escapes me at the minute. But considering that this was done very shortly after The Matrix, you know, Ree shouldn't have been playing second fiddle to anybody. Mm-hmm at the time he's one of the biggest stars in the world never mind James Spader who had quite a a modest career at this point so yeah just in there is a piece of trivia it's not a great film uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend uh, checking it out per se but reading about it's another thing it's it's very very interesting who's next
2: so yeah I end up with Andy circus for this triple bill um and realised I hadn't seen that many of his films, or I had, but six of them were based in Middle-earth, <laughs> In and in two he played a monkey. Um, so, yeah, and I didn't really want to pick one of the the rubbish films. I've seen him in, like, King Kong or Birken Hare or that Tintin one that he was in. So, I... Ended up picking The Prestige as the third choice as he played Tesla's assistant in that oh, film. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah. And he wasn't in that film much, but the film itself is brilliant. Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman played two rival magicians who are constantly trying to outdo each other. A circus's role is 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 minor, but yeah, he's he's been in lots of good films. But I'd just be picking films from the same franchise, and no one told me I couldn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I didn't say you couldn't. I just thought it'd be really boring if your three choices were Lord of the Rings 1, 2, and 3.
3: It almost as boring as <laughs> the films themselves. Well, it. You've
1: got to pick yeah. one of them, though. But which one? Actually, is he even in the first one? I don't remember Gollum being it's in the first one. Yes, very, he's, he's
0: very in the minds of Moria for a brief period. Okay.
2: Um, well, yeah. So, the second film of his that I'm going for is... Uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, the first in the reboot of the Planet of the Apes series where he... That's the second one. I thought Dawn was the first, Rise was the second.
1: No, it's the other way around. Rise is the first. Are you sure because that doesn't make any sense? Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes.
3: The one with James Franco in it, right? Yeah. It's Rise. Yeah, that's Rise of the Planet of
2: the Apes. Anyway. Sorry, dude. Rise of the Planet of the Apes where he does the motion cap- chapter work playing Caesar, the genetically enhanced ape, chimp, monkey. Um, obviously has no no lines in the film. Um, yes, but he does. The motion... He has one word. Is that him, though?
3: Did you Have you even watched this film?
2: <laughs> 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 it's been a while. don't
3: know what it's called. Don't know what We're happened. not getting
1: James Spader in the Watcher levels of trivia <laughs> with this one, I can tell.
2: Wow. <laughs> But uh, anyway, yeah, I've never seen somebody who's not a monkey play a monkey so realistically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on to the final film of his that I'm picking is it's just going to be anything from Middle Earth. but probably Lord of the Rings. The, the Return of the King was the one he was most prominent in, um, or most involved in. And as Gollum, he was he was excellent, and that was probably what kickstarted him off or that trilogy as, as a motion capture kind of go-to person.
1: Yeah. He was, br- he was really good as Gollum. It has to be said. I mean, I love the whole sort of sneaking moment as well. It's just, he really has the mannerisms of that character then. Cause if you watch the old animated film from like the seventies of Lord of the Rings, he it's like, he's taken what's in that cartoon and because you know, it's all the motion capture works by him actually moving around and then putting the stuff on top of his, you know, the CG on top of what he was doing. So to see him get the movements of this like completely animated character almost exactly the same, it's it's impressive.
3: I, I'm not a, a fan of Lord of the Rings at all, but I do like a good set of behind-the-scenes photos. Mm. And there were some fantastic ones of him, like in full-on costume, like cause he basically has to wear a leotard with <laughs> lights on it. Yeah. Um, like uh, having scenes with Elijah Wood and and, that, and and the other whatever they're called. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and there are just some fantastic photos of him doing that. It's just you, you can tell he just was so into it. I can I've
1: never know how the, that motion capture stuff works though cuz they don't have anything on their face but he really goes for it with his facial expressions as well. They do the they? face
3: separately. So you but, go into a um you go into a studio as this is how it happens uh well, this is how it happened a few years ago. They might have changed it since then. But you go into a studio which is especially rigged up with cameras that track certain yeah. movements. Mm-hmm. But the um, the leotard is for a, basically you have um, lights on the leotard and they composite yeah. them into like a wire frame and they build the character around that.
1: But they don't capture anything from facial movements and stuff. No, right I think
3: back. I think they do the face later. It might okay. depend on the production, but I've definitely seen yeah. it done that way. It's very clever.
2: It is, yeah. The only time i would seen kind of motion capture before that. Was when you used to see, like, how they were making a new FIFA game and they brought yeah. in the footballer and they put all these <laughs> kind of, this suit on with all the, the lights and everything and they were capturing him kicking yeah
3: i remember the credits of fifa 98 or 6 that <laughs> had david Ginella, like the, yeah. in, the, oh. in the um like in the little film it showed you while it was loading obviously because this was 1998 mm. um yeah and they actually had him like in the kind of black leotard with the lights on it and it was uh yeah it was like wow <laughs> i
0: just have to say before all the gamers out there absolutely merc- mercifully kill us all it was fifa 97 but, was it ninety oh, right, okay. uh, seven? David Beckham
2: play play. was on the front of FIFA ninety eight. Oh, thank you for that. I, 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 don't, think, Newcastle. I don't think gamers are gonna kinda of pick us up on which FIFA game we got wrong. We don't Fantasy, know him well enough, Steve. <laughs> if we got Final Fantasy wrong, we'd be having hate mail and <laughs> H, but...
0: FIFA fans are particularly
2: passionate for some reason. And I mean. Carol to round off Triple Bill, who did you get and what films did you go for?
3: I, I got Jeremy Renner, um, which was interesting, and, and uh, I did actually want to watch The Bourne Supremacy this evening, but unfortunately events got in front of me. Uh, but I hear it's rubbish anyway, so it's probably a good thing that I didn't get to watch it. Um, I, I don't know, is it rubbish? Is it? I, I quite like the original. Book. It's a, it's you...
1: okay. It's all right. It's just um, really forgettable and generic, which is it's... a shame.
3: So it's not really a born. it could have just been any action film. That seems to be the criticism I hear the well, most.
1: Well, it kind of has like the um, the globe trekking stuff, you know, it leaps from country to country as he goes around. So, and it looks really good. It looks fantastic. And there's one or two action scenes in it that are very good. But it's, I mean, I wouldn't have gone out of your way to watch it ahead of this podcast because <laughs> it wouldn't put Jeremy Renner into your list, I'm sure.
3: It, pro- it probably wouldn't, but, um, but actually, when I was going through his INDB, I, I realised there were quite a lot of films I've, I've seen him in that I've completely forgotten about. Like, uh, probably the first one is 28 Weeks Later, um, mm-hmm. which he was in, uh, quite, quite heavily, I think, yeah. uh, which obviously for, for people who haven't seen it, it's a sequel to 28 Days Later. And it features, um, not a zombie, but an infected person who, uh. Well, who
1: come on. They, they are zombies. I don't care what Danny Boyle says.
3: They're not dead though, are they?
1: For all intents and purposes.
3: They might as well be, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, but is it, well, no, because the thing that sets it apart was, uh, the, the fact that he can actually think and when he sees fire coming, he goes, oh, I'm going to run down this alleyway and the fire won't get me. Like, Independence Day dog syndrome, I like to call it. But, if, you run, if you run around the corner, <laughs> the fire can't get you. It's perfectly fine. But,
1: there are uh, oh, this is a debate that's going to drag on uh, <laughs> there was there was there were so many different interpretations of a zombie we'll just leave it there they're not Romero zombies but they
3: they are zombies fair enough fair enough that's but me. actually I I don't mind the film actually to be honest I, I think I'd probably prefer it to the first film because I really like the first film up until they get to the army base and then it all goes to complete hell in my opinion I don't I don't like, I've, act, I've been known to switch it off when they get to the army base because it just goes completely crap. I would agree but, with that. Mm. Thank you. But um, 28 Weeks I think is a more, uh, more consistent film. I mean, I'm, I'm going to ignore the idea that it takes two hours to walk from Docklands to Wembley because that's a complete <laughs> load of shit, we all know. Obviously, um, but apart from that, it's it's quite. A, I think it's quite a solid film, quite a good entry. And I'm kind of disappointed they haven't really gone gone any further with it. I was hoping for a 28 months later or something where someone else lets the infection loose accidentally or something. That would have been quite good. And but it's um,
0: got one of the best intros to film ever. It has,
1: yeah, very tense. Yeah.
3: Yes, yes, and and also one of the best ways of decapitating zombies <laughs> with a helicopter yeah. blade. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. It's my favourite scene, I think. That was, uh, yeah, that was def- definitely novel. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think it's quite a solid film, and Jeremy Meredith was quite, ad- that- I think this is the first thing I, I saw him in, uh, because I saw this at the cinema, and, um, I thought he was, I thought he was pretty good, he's very solid, um, you know, pretty, like, unflashy performance, but, um, because obviously the whole idea is that the Americans have been brought in, like, the, the Air Force have been brought in, because the Brits can't handle it, apparently. So, um, <laughs> so he does that with uh, kind of typical aplomb uh, which isn't really something you'd associate with Jeremy Renner because I think he's quite unshowy as a whole um, but yeah pretty good film and then the next thing I saw him in um, I may have seen him in some things in between but the next thing I, I saw him in of note was uh The Town which I don't know whether any of you guys have seen it but it was um, it was not Ben Affleck's debut um, as a director but I think it was his second film mm-hmm. And it's um essentially about a group of um robbers in uh in Boston, like a group of friends who who go out on the on the rob. And um it's basically it's all gonna it's all um gonna go horribly wrong because one of the witnesses might recognise uh Jeremy Renner's character by by a tattoo that he has on his neck. Um and he's really good in this, so he got his um second Oscar nomination for this for Best Supporting Actor. And I actually think his performance in this is better than it was in the other film, which I'm going to move on to in a minute, that he was an Oscar nominated for. He he walks a very kind of fine line between being calm and, and being absolutely bliss. You can totally believe that he's going to go right off the right off the rails at any given minute. Um, it's a really good film. If you haven't seen it, it's very tense. Um, and I, I totally recommend it. It's a good... Um, it reminded me a little bit of... Um, when I saw The Drop earlier in the year, The Drop reminded me a little bit of it. Very bleak landscapes and, you know, kind of people who are kind of born into crime and, and don't really have any any way out of it. Um, so I'd totally recommend it. And then I actually saw this film was released before The Town, but I saw it afterwards, I think, um, was the um, film where he got his first Oscar nomination, which was for Best Actor, which was The Hurt Locker. Um, which as it stands is still the lowest grossing movie ever to win Best Picture at the Oscars. <laughs> Unbelievably. Wow. I don't know why, because I, re- I really enjoyed this film. Like, admittedly, I didn't go to the cinema to go and watch it. I've watched it, I think, on Netflix. Um,
1: politics played a part, I think.
3: I think it was delicate timing. Mm. Definitely. And I think also the fact it shouldn't do, but I think the fact it was a woman director kind of put people off as well, to be perfectly honest. But you know she stuck two fingers up to everyone there didn't she um so he is um a um iud uh, diffuser in afghanistan i think it was um and he's basically the person who's in charge of, of diffusing all the um all the bombs when when people go out um and it's just a really really good film there are some amazingly tense uh set pieces in there there's a few shocks actually i didn't um, remember, but when I was looking up on IMDb earlier, because I haven't seen it for a couple of years, uh, but uh, Falcon was in it. I totally forgot.
1: Anthony Mackie?
3: Anthony Mackie's really? in it. <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot he'd been in it. I, I was kind of like, yeah, that, I knew I'd seen him before, but oh yeah, that's where he's from. Um, yeah, and it is very good uh, um, and I think Renner's really, really good in it. Again, I think it's kind of a centrepiece role. I think he, he's got, he does a solid job as the person who's kind of tasked with uh, not letting all his colleagues die, basically, and obviously the, the immense pressure that brings with it if he makes a wrong move, he's dead, but all his, all his friends are dead as well. Um, so I think he did a fantastic job with that as well um, so yeah, just uh three decent jeremy Runner films if you can if you can search them out, especially the town because i don't think many people have seen that, then I would highly recommend
2: okay that's all for um triple Bill. Uh, up next we've got our main review of Age of Ultron. So now it's time for us to review then Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, the, I think, is it the 11th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yep, number 11. The second, the second Avengers film, of course, first one was the second ever film reviewed on the Fail Critics podcast three years ago.
1: Yeah, which I wasn't a part of, but I've been no. a part of our minisodes that we've put out and Carol was also involved in the minisodes. So, um, oh. for Avengers Assemble, sorry, Carol, I have to say that now. <sharp inhale> Every time I say it, the word assemble, I have to disclaimer it with sorry. Carol. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and so you should.
1: Yeah. Although this film really should be called Avengers Assembled Ultron. I think that would work better, but there we go. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, no, yeah. uh, So so it's the 11th film in the MCU. It's amazing, isn't it? 2008 was the first one. That's right. That's
0: 11 films in that amount of time in seven years. Yeah. And how much money have they collectively made? It must be enormous.
1: It's
3: going to overtake the Harry Potter films it's only just behind the Harry Potter franchise at the moment
1: there's just a big Scrooge McDuck mountain of money that they just <laughs> roll about in at the Marvel headquarters in New York and they yeah. just uh, yeah occasionally take a bag full of it out and go there you go make another film and then load it all back up again in their big mansion of a uh, whatever it is storage big yellow storage full of money
2: and <laughs> um, obviously after we reviewed this film, In the main we will do a spoiler of that section as we do with any film like this. So don't worry, for this main review we won't be spoiling anything. That will come later, so if you haven't seen it, don't listen on but we'll tell you when to stop
1: listening. We won't we won't say anything about Spider Man dying in his shock five minute appearance or
3: you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, That's a joke. There's no Spider Man. Or is there? Who knows? There isn't Who is there?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so confused right now. <laughs>
3: um, by the way, um, the Harry Potter films at the moment stand on $7.7 7 billion. Wow. Jesus. That's that's something to think about.
0: Well, I'm um, glad to say I've only contributed £10 towards that. So.
2: <laughs> Zilch for me. Nada. Nothing. I'm not talking about it.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but, yeah, the film itself, played with Ultron... Uh, I think it got mixed reviews from the four of us, didn't it? Yeah. I think it's it's kind of one really liked, one didn't like, and two are kind of in the middle. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll just put it out there before we actually start talking about it. I didn't think it was a good film. I was really incredibly disappointed that after sort of, because it's a long film as well, and I gave it every chance. I was thinking it's going to get better. I mean, it'll it'll improve. It's Avengers. It just takes in, it takes a bit of time. I've seen them all before, so it's just taking a bit of time. No, no. Sort of got to the forty five minute mark, and I was like, I just, I'm really not enjoying this. This is really badly made, and I just half gave up on it. Gave up on it at that point, and it just never never got better. It just didn't improve, and as it That's went on, I just got
0: more and more fed up with it. Did you happen uh, to encounter a Star Wars trailer before? <laughs> <laughs>
1: just put me in a bad mood. Uh, no, I didn't. Um, it could have been worse.
3: We got a Terminator one.
1: Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. I haven't seen that. I've avoided it. Of yeah, the spoilers, please do. Apparently. Yeah, it's
3: awful. It's awfully spoilery as well. Mm. If, you're, if you're even planning on, on maybe seeing the film, just don't watch it.
1: Yeah. But um, yeah. as far as sort of age of Voltron goes... Yeah, so I I wasn't keen on it. I can come on to why in a minute, but I'll, because you three kind of like it, and I'll let you guys talk about it first, and then I'll try and challenge you at each of those points like an annoying little nerd in the background going, uh, excuse me. You're
0: gonna turn into Callum?
1: (laughs) (gasps) That is outrageous,
0: Matt.
3: Right. Well, here's 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 my my personal opinion. And I and I think I hope I got this across in my in my review as well. There are massive flaws with it. I'm not even going to pretend that that's that that's not the not the case. Um, I do think like it's it's not as good as Avengers. I don't think the plot is as tight. I think there are certain things which are just like plain silly, which I don't really want to get into at this point. We're we'll going to the spoiler alert. Um, but ultimately I felt that there was so much else going on that kind of, it, it kind of swept you away in this feeling of, yeah, okay. This this is, this is, this is pretty good because you know, there's a lot of funny, there's a lot of funny moments, like a lot. I got, we got three rounds of applause (laughs) on my second viewing. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of great action scenes. I think the action scenes are fantastic. Like some of the best in the whole franchise. Um, so yeah I'm not I'm not going to pretend it's a flawless film it's clearly not um but I I think I I think uh you either apparently well by by all accounts you either like it or you really really don't like it at all there's there doesn't seem to be any middle ground um I personally felt that the that the positives outweighed the negatives of which there were some
1: some positives
2: I'll admit that there's some positives I, I found the, the plot wasn't as good as um, as the first one or many other Marvel films. It just seemed a bit thin. Um, and the subplot seemed a bit thin and kind of quickly introduced and quickly got rid of. Um,
3: there are definitely a few bits in there that, that I think got cut for running time. I, as yeah. I said in my review, I think there's a, there's a Thor segment which very obviously felt like I, the thing is, um, that was
1: ridiculous. That (laughs) really was just out of nowhere. And anyway, yeah, sorry. Carry on.
3: (laughs) I I think it, you saying about the film being long, I think it could have done with an extra 10 or 20 minutes. It could have. Yeah. I didn't feel like it was long at all. I felt like it was zipping past.
2: It, I don't think it was as fun as the first Avengers film, which is what a lot of people liked about it. So you had quite a lot of jokes in this one still on one liners, but they felt a bit out of place. They didn't kind of seem to work as well as what they did in Do
1: you know, yeah. like, have you seen um have you, we've all seen Airplane, I'm guessing. We've all seen yeah. Airplane. Yeah. Uh, and we've all have we seen Airplane Two? No. No. Right. <laughs> Airplane <laughs> two Airplane Two basically tries to do the exact same thing. Right? Takes exactly the same jokes, verbatim, from the first film, but transposes it so instead of on like a plane going from across the Atlantic or whatever it's doing, it changes it to them going to the moon. And it's just it doesn't work, it's not funny, it's not great, it's really badly made, and Avengers Age of Ultron is essentially the airplane two of the Marvel franchise. It does the same thing as Avengers, just without the assembling part and does all of the same things again, but worse. And it's just, I really can't quite understand how, I've seen comments from people saying it's like the funniest Marvel film so far. It's not, it's just full of like quips and bad gags that are just repeated and they fill the blank spaces because they haven't actually got any characterization to work with or the characterization they do use. Like I don't think this is a spoiler, but what they try to do with Black Widow and the Hulk, they try and insert this awkward, really piss poor attempt at a romance story because they've got nothing else to do with the characters otherwise.
3: It just yeah, doesn't that, work. That I... didn't work, and I and I admitted that in my review. I yeah, like, I remember that yeah. not working.
2: Um, I also think there was too many characters in it where it kind of they got in the way of each other. They could have done with getting rid of
1: a couple earlier on they um, could have yeah either gotten rid of some or focused more centrally on a few of them yeah
3: well i thought too... they kind of did really i thought they kind of focused on the ones that haven't had solo films so hawkeye gets a lot mm. oh yeah, yeah. black widow mm. does um like her character gets moved on hugely does and she hawkeye... yeah is she I really so. that different yeah. at
0: the end i, I thought I... she was quite prominent in this and yeah it's the first film I've seen that character in where I didn't find her completely annoying. <laughs> but you think
1: about what she's like at the start and then think about what she's like at the end, right? What has happened in between? She's sort of had a fling-ish type thing with Banner.
3: Well, I think I think she's more fleshed out. Again, without giving too much away, I think we find out a lot more about her. Um, than in we the same really way seen. you learn
1: more about Hawkeye, which is that... Again, I don't know what, what's classed as spoilers, so I'll save it for spoiler alert, but in the same way that they, they do more with Hawkeye, he gets more um, interactions with the group, and he's funnier. He gen- genuinely is funnier, and Ren- Renner's really taken to being like this major figure in the film. But then the, the backstory that's inserted feels like, I, can, I know why it's there, but I don't think it does anything to improve the character, to be honest.
3: I, I think it was there as a bit of misdirection, and I'm yeah, going to yeah. end that conversation and then continue it as spoiler alert. Exactly. A yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but stuff like they really should have focused on. I know it's like considering they've had three Iron Man films, and he was the main part of Avengers Assemble as well. They really should have spent more time with Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark because it, you know, quite clearly early in the film. He and Bruce Banner are responsible for creating this Ultron, this artificial intelligence, almost by accident. You know, it's almost it almost occurs by, well, after their montage moment, where they all suddenly think, hmm, should we do this? I don't know, let's not tell anyone. And then just like, montage, and they just build this AI. Um, Even Ultron Spoiler alert!
0: The <laughs> <laughs> um, You're creeping into spoiler realm there with that one, I think, mate.
1: <laughs> I don't know if it... Ever is. so I mean...
0: slightly. Okay, well, I apologise if people think that's a spoiler. But I think we got plenty of Tony Stark in it.
3: I, think, thing... we I think we didn't need more Tony Stark in it.
0: You mm. I... needed different
1: Tony Stark, is kind of my point. That He shouldn't be there just to have... to make jokes and then look a bit distressed when things go awry. He should be there to sort of... He's the anchor for this Ultron, you know. It, 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 he... Ultron effectively becomes like an arch nemesis, but you don't get that in the film. You don't get it. It's just like you get it's a one sided arch arch rivalry, if you like. You know. It's like um what's that uh what was Brian Clough's nemesis, who never really knew, the leads manager.
3: Don Revie Revy, Revy, yeah,
1: exactly. Revy. He just sort of goes, What? Who? Brian Clough. <laughs> it's like that, really. I don't know. That's
0: an interesting analogy, (laughs) to say the least. But one of my bigger complaints of it, and my opinion of the film is mostly positive, but I found that probably my favourite character from the original Avengers, which would be Ruffalo's Banner stroke Hulk, he was a bit of a badass. He was this seemingly always angry on the brink of transformation in the Avengers, and that actually provided a fair bit of tension and in this, he's mushy, he's meek, he's secondary to Tony Stark and the pecking order. And I just feel like they've taken one of the best parts of the first one and made it one of the weakest aspects in this one, which was a big shame for me. That was something that I picked the whole in very early on and I didn't like. And I don't think he he recovers from quite a bad start where they focus on this love story that we, we all don't seem to enjoy very much.
1: Mm. The CGI on him as well at times looked a bit rushed. I don't know whether that was just me, but uh, see, I didn't I didn't think the action scenes in the film were great. Although I did kind of enjoy the first one, the first thing that, that happens in the film, because the film kind of opens with an action scene yeah, um, to get everything rolling. And yeah. that sets the tone because the film is basically action scene, action scene, action scene. Everything is settled in a fight. That's the, the problem I had with the film absolutely every argument is settled with who can hit the other person the hardest, and that person wins the argument. Yeah,
3: uh, this is Marvel, right? So... This is Marvel. <laughs> that's, that's, how it, that's how it works. <laughs>
1: kind of. But they've... Yeah, I guess. Well, they've done it... They've done it... Um, I don't want to say more subtly. They haven't used uh, subtlety very well throughout the series. But, you know, it's in, like, every debate is... Like, a... a for an example right the debate they have eventually about ai because when it comes to like where ultron came from and who was responsible and how it, how it all just occurred there's a like oh, there's an actual debate to be had there about well is this something that's good is it bad what's the actual reasons behind ultron's motives and it just comes into like oh no let's all have a big fight with each other We'll just punch each other for a bit. And then someone comes along and decides with a massive amount of force. And they're just like, okay, fair enough. And like, oh, for fuck's sake, just talk about it. Talk. Use your words. It's just. <laughs>
3: use your words. I did laugh. when, the... Yeah, that is a line in the uh, in the film. I only picked it up the second time. And it's hilarious because yeah. my friend says that all the time. Yeah. And when he just <laughs> says, use your words, I almost lost it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. uh yeah well, I, i'm did you go in on an empty stomach or something I'm very <laughs> angry about this film
1: i was really kind of hyped for it i think we mentioned do you like,
3: think that's the problem
1: possibly i think because um you know like about a, about two or three months ago we were talking on the podcast about how there's been a lack of hype about the film it just seems to have not come in under the radar because it's a marvel film and it's talked about Quite a lot, but not in terms of everyone being excited about it. So we thought, well, we'll generate these minisodes and we'll get people on to talk about each film and it'll build up this momentum again. And we we'll watch all the films and it'll just be, you know, I'll get really excited. And then I was, I found myself thinking, right, I, I'm kind of now, after re watching all the films, I'm going to go into this. It's going to be, I know exactly like h- how things are going to work, but it's going to be fun. It's got Joss Whedon behind it again. Hooray, Joss Whedon. You can't do any wrong at the moment. And then it was just. I don't know, it just I didn't It didn't grab me, and then it kind of annoyed me, and then I just got a bit bored.
0: Well, I'll give you an example of the hype train for, yeah. for this, right, in my little microcosm on the Isle of Man. Fast and Furious <laughs> 7, queuing down the street to get in, film delayed by 30 minutes, Age of Ultron, about three quarters full, no problems getting in, etc, etc. So... It's obviously anticipated and will be popular and will sell by the bucket loads, but it's not having hysteria like the previous one did, or even that Fast 7 seems to be having around the globe at the minute. I mean, the amount of money that's making.
3: I think mean, that's that suffering from like end of Harry Potter franchise syndrome, though, isn't it? Because it's going to be the last one, probably. Mm. Um, well, and everyone's hearing about this really sad ending. And etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And also, it was released on bank holiday, wasn't it? As well, I it think. was.
1: Yeah, it Sorry. was on a bank holiday. It's a yeah. There's all that mm. stuff Carol just mentioned. But Age of Ultron is sort of breaking a few records in the UK. It's not out in the US yet, but in the UK, it's made a lot of money already. It, it's like it made
3: 18 million over the weekend.
1: Yeah, Marvel's biggest opening in Britain, yeah. apparently.
3: Yeah, beat the Avengers by three million. Biggest opening of 2015 so far. Uh, mm. Biggest single. Uh, day of 2015 so far, etc. etc.
1: But I had exactly the same thing as Matt. I was expecting the cinema to be packed out like it was for the first Avengers, um, and it was about three quarters full. I mean, I don't know where these box office figures have come from, but they weren't from Dig
3: Well, they well. might have been from the BFI IMAX because that was completely rammed. Okay. Um, and and the, the, sc- the screening before us was rammed, and the screening after us was rammed as well. When I went on, I, I went to a preview on Tuesday, and that wasn't full i reckon that was probably about three quarters full which is utterly bizarre if you're going to go to a preview mm-hmm. to turn mm-hmm. up you know i know the t- tickets are free but come on but are um, those
1: tickets as well like this year that they made it that you weren't guaranteed a seat as well was no that, the that same was thing?
3: different no that was the um multimedia screening i didn't write that that but, was incredible yeah i did i did notice that <laughs> i was kind of glad i wasn't going to that after all well, that, um but uh, sorry no,
2: so that seems like a, a good place to to end the review As we're now talking about screenings and who's gone to see what (laughs) how busy it was in each one. Oh, sorry. That's alright. We'll obviously have spoiler alert coming up quickly, but. uh, Should I leave? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But for anyone obviously not listening on past this point, we'll do our usual thing of doing recommendations of stuff to watch in the week ahead. I'm going to go for Sky on May the 4th, and they are showing all six Star Wars films back to back. or Sky Movies.
1: So tune in about halfway through. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Depends which order they show them in. Yeah, chronologically or sequentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Owen, what are you going to recommend
1: people to watch? Um, I'm going to partly because this is a Marvel podcast now, Marvel centric podcast. I'm picking Daredevil, the TV oh, series no. on Netflix. <laughs> Oh, Have I stolen your... Well, we can both pick it because it deserves to be recommended. I think it's been fantastic. Double I...
3: recommend.
1: Double recommended. <laughs> How about
2: that? And Matt.
0: On Sky Movies premiere all this week, seems we're on superhero mode. You've got X Men Days of Future Past. that's on every night this week around at 8 pm.
2: Excellent. Uh, and we'll be back uh, next week with another podcast. What's the main reviews for that one, Owen?
1: Uh who knows, cause can anything
2: sneak into the cinema
1: while Stage of Ultron is on? That's the mystery. That's the big issue. I think actually we've got a few things. I think Monsters Dark Continent is finally out in the UK. So um the sequel to Monsters, which was a bit shit. So look forward to that. Yay.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, so yes anyone who hasn't seen Age of Ultron I wouldn't recommend listening on past this point if you have seen Age of Ultron um, join us for a more in-depth chat where we go through the bits of the film that we couldn't go through for people who haven't seen it
1: The Failed Critics podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes created by James Diamond with original music provided by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of jamesyule.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, on Twitter at failedcritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failedcritics. Thanks for listening.
2: So, time for spoiler right now, where we we'll go through Age of Ultron in a bit more detail. Um, I suppose one of the major, the spoilers is coming at the end, where a new Avengers team is assembled. This time, comprising of Captain America, Black Widow, uh, Scarlet Witch, Falcon, War Machine, and Vision.
1: Yeah. So, you know I would have preferred that to happen in this film. I know that was wouldn't have happened because of like the sort of logistics of doing that in this kind this moment in the MCU but I did talk to a, a colleague of mine at work who went to see age of Ultron who's not really a massive fan of Marvel films and he said that thing at the end with the group of new guys he said I won't go and see that so I won't bother with that." So I don't know who they are. I don't. I don't read comics. I've not seen all of the films. I've got no interest in seeing them in an Avengers film. I thought, well, that's quite telling, and probably why uh, Marvel have held off doing it for so long. But people just go, Falcon. Who the fuck is Falcon? I'm not going to he's see. He's that
3: lad out the hurt
1: locker.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, I think he's got a point. I don't think people will be excited to see War Machine and not Iron Man or. I, um, I don't
3: think you're going to go straight into Infinity War with that lot as the Avengers. I think it's going to be would. like a, ro- a rotating, you know, no, whoever's think... available, really.
1: Do you know what my fear is? That they will go straight into Infinity War 1 with the new, like, lineup of Avengers. And then in, Inve- in Infinity War 2, bring the old guys back to save it.
3: Well, at least one of them's going to have to die, I think. Uh, because to get the stones together...
1: Yeah, um, he's gonna have so, to get
3: that off Vision's head, isn't he? And Vision's just, not not just gonna give it up, is he?
1: Pluck it out with a Phillips just, screwdriver. Yeah, I guess. yeah, that's not gonna happen.
3: So um, unfortunately, and I'll be gutted when that happens because I am I am a fan of Vision. I didn't think he looked quite right in this film. Um, I I think he could have looked a bit more godlike. I think it was the eyes, but I thought overall, I think I think they did quite well with him.
0: I think I the eyes stand is... the vision. <laughs> As I, I knew nothing about. The character be, be coming into this, and once he arrived, I'm just like, "You're like someone should be doing the Green Cross Code, mate. This is <laughs> like the most boring superhero of all time. <laughs> it's well, the absolutely thing is, abysmal." But
3: the bit where he handed Thor his hammer, though,
0: was yeah, so that was funny. funny.
3: That was funny. That was hilarious.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was. I, I got a
3: right, there was a round of applause in my, in my, oh, you just, really? you just saw it with a load of bored people and you didn't, you didn't eat before you went in and you're grumpy. <laughs> and you will probably had like kids to get home to and stuff and they were grumpy because they couldn't come with you. I Ready know you. my kids. I you don't know they people. From. I know you.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, the, I kind of like, some of it was funny. I'll admit some of it did make me laugh. Like the fight between, uh, Iron Man in his Veronica Hulkbuster armour and the Hulk was, that was nice. it was the highlight for me go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep oh
0: my god I was pissing myself
1: <laughs> and the bit with um, Hulk leaping into the plane at the end as uh, Vision's trying to not Vision, sorry, as Ultron's trying to fly off and he goes, oh, for God's sake.
0: I've got, <laughs> an, interesting, I've got an interesting story about that bit from, from my show. There was right. um, a group of young children sitting at the front with their parents. And you know what they're like. They're like, Daddy, what's going on? <laughs> like really loud throughout the film. are like, <laughs> getting really angry. And then at that point, when Hulk jumps <laughs> into the plane and... All drunk goes, Oh, for God's sake! Like a set, split second later, this kid shouts at this officer, "Oh, for God's sake!" And the <laughs> whole whole cinema just burst out laughing. So it was added <laughs> humour, which was actually quite welcome. Yeah. But um, yeah, I actually found the film in general had had lots of little quirks. I liked the you know the bad jokes from uh, Don Cheadle at the beginning, and you know, the whole thing with Hulk's hammer was very funny. The oh, the I scene we just spoke thing was quite good. Yeah, the thing with uh, the Hulkbuster armor with the pneumatic punching was yeah. absolutely brilliant. Well, that was top quality. So I think that it had the laughs, for me at least anyway. I know, I mean, you, you don't necessarily. Well, do I kind it.
1: of like. I, did, I do disagree because it didn't. It felt like a lot of the gags were shoehorned in to fill, like I said in, in the other bit of the, the review, just to fill in like the silences between relentless action scenes. There weren't, actually... I know, Carol, you're going to disagree, and I did read your review, and I thought it was very well-reasoned, but I didn't think the action scenes were very good at all. They were just constantly smashing things, and, you know, particularly the final sequence, where the, the Sokovia's been lifted into the sky, and it's exactly the fucking same as the last film. It's just barrage of faceless robots being punched and smashed. There's one, like two-minute action sequence in the whole of that final part, which is good, which is the bit where they're all crowded around the um, the switch and they're fighting off the things. And that's good. You get to see, like, the characters doing their thing in a very individual way, but how it kind of fits together. And that I enjoyed. I thought that was a very well shot. But that's just, like, two minutes of the final half-an-hour-long action moment.
0: That... There was a bit with the, f- the final battle that irks me, and I think it... It was very poorly sort of done, whereby the the battle sort of coming to an end, and um, Hawkeye sees a, a kid who hasn't gotten onto the the ships yet to abandon the city, and he sort of looks down and takes a deep breath, like, "Fuck, I've got to put myself in harm's way." So you know straight away someone's gonna die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's where the bit where Quicksilver intervenes and gets taken out. And I'm just like, God, you looks... couldn't telegraph that any
2: more than... Yeah, well, than I think the idea was did. you
3: were meant to think that Hawkeye exactly. was not going to bite it. Yeah, n- it no,
2: that's exactly what I thought. But it who who to thought, it, not, who thought Hawkeye was going was to die considering he got what? every bit part character in lost and the walking dead gets as soon as they're on screen for a bit they're dead
3: yeah exactly i've been watching far too much walking dead (laughs) (laughs) but then i was like hang on this is joss Whedon. he doesn't go for the obvious stuff so it's probably going to be someone saving hawkeye and lo it was so um
1: yeah yeah, quicksilver who looked straight into the camera and sort of winked and said you didn't see that coming
3: (laughs) can can we expect everest to be doing that today
0: did you (laughs) But whilst we're on the subject of that, though, Aaron Taylor-Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen, I've got, got a, a little bit of love for Elizabeth Olsen in this movie, so I, I really enjoyed her accent on a totally aesthetic level. But those two uh, are interesting because I wouldn't go as far to say that they were brilliant or anything, but I thought as brother and sister, they're quite good, whereas they've always just been in Godzilla together as a married couple and were absolutely god-awful mm. in regards to the chemistry. So make a, of that what you will but they they seem to get on better at that level, which is a little bit strange.
3: <laughs> yeah, can, can we talk about Aaron Taylor Johnson's accent? Because I don't know what. What what so... is the problem
0: with <laughs>
1: his
3: accent? <laughs> so Where is my meerkat? <laughs> <laughs> it was god awful. Um, yeah, I yeah I didn't really. I felt they were kind of superfluous. I kind of I, I came around to Scarlet Witch a little bit on second viewing because I was like, well, actually, you know, she's quite a good device, and obviously you can't you can't bring her in without bringing in Quicksilver. Mm. Uh, I did feel that Quicksilver Dime was a massive fuck you to Fox though. Just like, (laughs) fuck you. We've also used Quicksilver and we've already killed him off. We've got that many characters, bitches. But, um, (laughs) yeah, I I think, um, I think actually, uh, Scarlet Witch, and I think this hasn't really been, uh, explored too much in lots of people talking about this film. I think it defined her powers very well. I don't think she's particularly well-defined. It kind of depends on who's writing her as to what mm. she can actually do. And yeah. I think she was, and I was kind of concerned about how this was going to uh, translate to, um, to film because basically, you know, she's mentally unstable and, and if she blinks, she can wipe out all mutants at a stroke, which is something that she did actually do once. Um, yeah, House of M, wasn't it? House, House, House of M. M. Yeah. Um So, yeah, um, I, I think the, she the, was, was the really well-defined on, on, <laughs> on, uh, on screen.
1: I think the prob, I mean, I think we touched upon it with saying that she's um, just a device, which in this film is kind of true. She's, they could have done more with her, particularly as soon as like she finds out about Ultron's plan. That really, I mean, she could have had the power in this film to just destroy him instantly, but for some reason they hold it back until later on when she gets really upset. And I just think, well, it's another problem with the film as well, in that both her and um Quicksilver, they're just completely like, that's it. They've changed their morals. You no, know? It's no longer about saving Sokovia from the evil Tony Stark and his weaponizing thing. He just goes, oh, I don't do that anymore. And they go, oh, well, he's saving the world. Isn't this good? And it's well, like, well, oh,
2: that's, that's, that's not quite true, is it? I mean, they, 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 saw, they, they, they saw Ultron... You know, messing around with the doctors in the hospital and creating vision, and and then they turn then, from him. But then they they are reluctant to work with Tony Stark to start with. I mean, and
1: it, then they, they get a new pair of trainers, and
0: it's all right.
3: <laughs> Adidas trainers, no, um, no
0: Yeah, those trainers were worth a lot in
2: Sokovia.
3: Yeah.
2: I preferred the Hummel track suit. Thought it was much better.
1: <laughs> Very nineties. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I just thought that. It was too easy. It was too easy for them to just go from being the enemy to Avengers. Like, well, there's there's working with your enemies to stop a greater, bigger threat. And then there's just like, wow, isn't this helicarrier cool? Um, do, they, do
3: you not think that they, they sort of address that when Hawkeye's talking to Scarlet Witch and he's saying, you know, you, you don't have to come out. You can just sit here if you want. It's fine uh but you know it's a conscious decision and if you walk out and, and also just like the best line in the whole film where he says you know we're like floating up i can't remember exactly what he says we're floating up in the ground i we're floating up in the air i have a bow and arrow none of this makes any sense yeah that was very good <laughs> <laughs> very just, self-aware yeah a very Weedenesque kind i think yeah um yes yeah, so no i i didn't have a i didn't have a problem with that at all i thought it was quite you know, yeah, I, I thought, know. I thought the, the transition was quite well handled. Because, you know, she's um, making a conscious decision. And, you know, like basically it's going to be a family and friends that she's saving as well. So, uh,
2: Wrapping up, spoiler alert, shortly. Uh, coming on to the end of the film again, Thor knows something's up, doesn't he? He's gone back to Asgard to find out who's getting the gems together.
1: Oh, yeah. Just suddenly goes, oh, I had this weird dream. And then he goes and finds Dr. Selvig. Yeah. Ha- Suddenly can drive to this magical pit of water in a cave somewhere, which is close to where Dr. Selvig works, which is convenient. Um, Pops in there for a quick bath and suddenly finds out about the Infinity Gems or Infinity Stones. Um, It was a little bit like kind of obvious that stuff was missing there something has definitely been cut out of his story. Yeah. Well.
2: Isn't there a bit of a trailer with a woman walking out of a pool as well? There that is, was, yeah. Uh, that wasn't in the final film, so.
1: Exactly. It just feels like there's chunks missing. And it's really annoying that there's chunks like that missing, which could have been, re- I'm, in, as it is in the Age of Ultron, it's just stupid and doesn't fit and work at all. Just absolutely crap. But, you know, it, that is cut out, but stuff are like constant, action scenes that could have been shortened easily are left in i just find it a bit weird it's just a strange decision um. i don't know well, i mean i what well, i did like actually one, one of the, the only character other than like hawkeye who i kind of did like in this was um, captain america i thought uh chris evans was good again and it's weird how he's sort of become now from the first avenger through avengers and winter soldier and now this like their best character, in a way. Mate, yeah. I mean, is that just me? Does anyone else sort of no, like Captain it? America's no, Captain
3: pretty cool. Um, I, I was kind of, I, I thought they were going to set up Civil War a lot more in this. I think they did a little bit, but they didn't, I mean, the way it ended wasn't kind of on opposing sides. There's going to have to be something big to bring Tony Stark round to the whole, oh, we should all be registered idea. Presuming that's the way they're going anyway, I don't know. Um, yeah,
1: well I'm assuming that it will be to do with he's created Ultron and kind of feels responsible.
3: He didn't he didn't really seem like he felt that responsible.
1: No, when he drove off <laughs> in his his self-driving Mercedes yeah. okay, yeah. loaded.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think we've got to have something else happen. But yeah, I I really like Chris Evans. I have to admit I wasn't too sure about him when he was cast because Mm. Mainly, the only things I've really seen him in were those god awful, fantastic films. <laughs> but to be fair, he was probably the best thing in them as well. Um, I, I think he's really good. I think he's. Uh, I think he's quite underrated. I think his comedy timing as well is quite. I think he's proven his comedy chops in quite a few films.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, so, but he's also very believable as the kind of square jawed. And his uh, flashback scenes with Peggy were just heartbreaking. I love Peggy, and I, yeah. I will watch anything with her in. Um, but her, his flashback scenes were just kind of the most poignant, poignant ones out of all of them. I would definitely
1: agree with that. Yeah, definitely. More so than although actually on the same subject, um, Tony Stark's flashback or flash forward or vision of the future or complete like nightmare, whatever it actually was of seeing all the Avengers dead and whom to blame with the shield cracked. Do you think that was like prophetic of what's going to happen through the Marvel films or was it just solely tied to Age of Ultron?
3: Well, it was all set in space, wasn't it? It was in
1: space, but it's also ties very neatly into him being responsible for the end of humanity kind
0: of thing.
3: Yeah, I did wonder at first whether it was something to do with uh, Thanos. Um, I don't know. I think it was just him seeing what Scarlet Witch wanted him to see, really, Um, Hmm. because you know she she let him take the um, scepter knowing that he'd seen that and then knowing that he'd do something about it which happened to be Ultron um, but yeah but I mean that would obviously be quite a great scene for them all to just die at once but um, I don't think I don't think that's going to happen I think no. they've a riot on their hands just to ask
0: you guys who are more experienced in the comic book realm so what exactly has happened to Hulk where we, we left off he's going to Fiji
1: this yeah. is a magical place.
3: I so wanted a, an end credit scene of just sad Hulk piloting the plane. I really <laughs> wanted that. I was I was so upset when we didn't get an end credit scene, just well, him like trying to find the CD player and things like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because yeah. it, at some point you get shot into space, right? And in, in the future,
3: I had to admit that's where I kind of thought it was going with the whole. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought he was going
0: to just ground. like just fly yeah. off into oblivion, sort of thing.
1: I
3: think I would have been too be- far fetched, though.
1: They should have just had the sad Hulk music. You yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> uh, just, but it, it is definitely setting it up for, hopefully, for him going into space. I've got a feeling, like this is just completely me making this up and assuming, I've got a feeling that Ruffalo's, um, character Bruce Banner spoke to Samuel L. Jackson in Hawkeye's Shed and probably set something up because they did, because Nick Fury does say he's gone somewhere, probably swim across Fiji. I you know, Fiji from Agents of Shield is where Agent Coulson was sent when um, no, he was it wasn't. dead. That was Tahiti, sorry. Was it Tahiti? Uh, oh fuck. Sorry. Okay. Well I've completely made that up sound. Yeah. But it's probably something set up and that uh, he will end up in space. Yeah,
3: that's a good point actually. I hadn't thought about that. It's it's pretty it's pretty obvious that Fury's uh spoken to... um, and by the way, I don't like the whole idea that, that Coulson being dead is still the case in this film. I think that's quite silly. Fury obviously knows he's alive um, Yeah, Lady right. Sif knows he's alive and it just I don't know it's just grating on me because when you see the original Avengers now and he dies it doesn't really have the same impact because you're like well mm-hmm. he's dead and, and now he's got his own show it makes me wonder what's going to happen to Quicksilver really
1: well, I don't think Weddon can be trusted on that because no. he's not involved in them, so shut sure up, Weddon.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> anyway, that brings the to, to spoiler alert as well as the whole podcast for this week. Um, thanks to all three of you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks to everyone who's listened. And as we said earlier, we'll be back next week with a, another podcast, possibly reviewing um, Monsters, Monsters Dark, Dark Continent. <laughs>
3: Just realised the football
0: factory's on on Thursday. (laughs) Danny fucking Dyer.
3: Danny Dyer's finest hour. It's our favourite James Bond. (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus.